So uh, week three of our God in the Movie series, and um, as I've already mentioned, we're looking at Instant Family this morning. Um, I promised you last week that I would let you know why I changed uh, from the Peanut Butter Falcon, which was the original idea, our original movie that we were going to do in this spot, and why we switched to this one. And um, there's several reasons, actually. First, um, I always try to do a comedy uh, in the context of, of God in the Movies, um, just so that there's some balance, it, it isn't all superhero movies, uh, and, uh, and so um, there's not a lot of good comedies out there. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, there's a lot of comedies you start watching, and you're going, uh, no, I can't watch this. Uh, but this is actually a, a good, good comedy, and I, I ended up seeing it uh, after I had chosen Peanut Butter Falcon, and I thought, you know what, I, I want to do this one because it's, 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 much, it's a much better comedy, and I think it has uh, a lot more to do with the heart. Um, in fact, it, it's very interesting how it's a combination between uh, comedy, but also it explores uh, some really heartwarming um, stuff, uh, and, and even the trials and tribulations of fostering and adopting. Um, secondly, I, I personally related to this movie a lot more. Um, as many of you know, Sharon and I fostered uh, two beautiful girls for, for many years, uh, from age 9 to uh, age 18 in the case of Hillary. And so um, we, we related to this film in a, in a really, really significant way, and more, more on that later. Um, in fact, I just want to warn you that, that this, this movie, uh, as I said, is personal, so um, I'm hoping... Uh, to keep it together this morning, okay? So, so pray for me on that front. Um, finally, I think this story, this piece of art, um, hooks up with the biblical story in some more powerful ways um, than the peanut butter falcon. And uh, hopefully you're going to see that this morning as well. Okay, so how many of you saw the film? Just physically raise your hand. Okay, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Actually, it was a, um, it's a good movie to see. I talked to several people uh, who said, yeah, we watched it over the holidays and really, really enjoyed it. So a little bit about the movie itself. It was released in uh, 2018 around Christmas, which is not a surprise because the studios love to release some of those heartwarming Christmas stories uh, around Christmas. Um, the film stars Mark Wahlberg and Rose Burney as Pete and Ellie, Pete and Ellie, and with significant contributions by Isabel Moner, uh, who plays Lizzie and Academy Award winner Octavio Spencer, uh, and stand-up comedian Tig Notaro um, as the foster care workers. Uh, it grossed $120 million worldwide, and so that's, that's not too bad. Uh, directed by Sean Anders, um, from a screenplay he co-wrote with frequent collaborator John Morris, who also wrote Daddy's Home, Daddy's Home 2, neither of which I've seen. Um, the story is rooted in his real-life experience of adopting several Latino foster children. And, and this, just, this just shines through in the film. In fact, I, I must say, uh, this film uh, was, was, was very accurate in, in many respects to uh, the fostering experience um, as, as Sharon and I, uh, as we experienced it over the n number of years. And there was a couple interesting trigger moments uh, that really got me. And one was, this is going to seem very trivial to you, but when the kids first arrive at the home of Pete and Ellie, um, do you remember what they're carrying their clothes in? Garbage. A garbage bag, right? And that's exactly what happened in our situation. 
when Hillary and Alana arrived on our doorstep, uh, there's, there was no suitcases, there were just garbage bags. And, um, and so all of these little moments that happened in the film uh, kind of did me in a little bit. Uh, then again, I'm just a complete softy. So. Um, so a little bit about the plot. Uh, Pete and Ellie are house flippers, like the ones you see on HGTV, only they're not on TV. And, and one day they realize that they actually do want to have kids, um, but they, they decide not to go uh, the biological route. As, as given their age, they want to kind of skip the, the sleepless nights and, and poopy diaper part. And uh, there's, there's an, actually a, a very poignant scene that happens in the beginning of the film, and it was in the trailer that we just saw. Um, it's that scene where Pete says to Ellie, People who take care of foster kids are really special. These are the kind of people who volunteer when it's not even a holiday. We don't even, even volunteer on a holiday, which I thought was, was, was pretty funny. But, but I want to stop there for a moment because I thought, I thought that's actually a pretty common idea that's out there um, when it comes to this sort of thing. Uh, and it goes like this. We, we, we know there's problems in the world, right? We, we know there's issues. We know that, you know, uh, we can understand cognitively that, you know, there are literally thousands of kids uh, in the greater area, Edmonton area um, who are in foster care and who do not have a foster uh, family at all uh, today, right? We can understand that cognitively, but there's a, there's a part of us that sort of thinks, well, because we're not perfect people, uh, because we, 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 you know, we, are, we struggle in different ways ourselves, um, God must be calling somebody else to do that work, right? There must be some more perfect family out there, uh, some more perfect person that God can use to, to address the problem. Um, I mean, to take kids into our house that aren't even our biological kids, as much as I respect those who do it, uh, we're way too messed up, a family, to attempt it, all right? And uh, so I wanted to share with you just the story of how Sharon and I got into to fostering uh, in the first place, um, so that you'll understand. Uh, we were actually at a church planting conference in Toronto. Um, it was the Canadian Church Planting Congress. And uh, there was a speaker at the Congress um, who shared her story of, of fostering. And at the end of her talk, um, she did something that was really, really convicting. She said, what if, what if every single Christian family across Canada took in one child. We'd solve the fostering problem overnight, right? Overnight. What if we all just did our part? Imagine the kind of generational impact that that, that could, could have. And um, this, this really impacted both of us. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you that it took me um, a little while to come around because, you see, I grew up in a family that fostered. My parents fostered uh, several kids growing up. And one of the things that I was, I, I didn't like about fostering um, was not so much the kids themselves, but this roller coaster ride of, of having the kids come into your house and then falling in love with them and then having to watch them leave again. And uh, that happened for me growing up a bunch of times, and yet it ends up making you a little bit callous. Um, it's, and, but but then, I, then I started to think about how gracious God has been to our family. And, and you know what? Um, as it turns out, our first placement was Hillary and Alana, and that lasted nine years, right? 
So it was amazing when, when I finally said, okay, God, I, I'm willing. How God, God blessed me in a way uh, that said, I hear you, I hear you, and uh, I'm going to give you uh, a long-term placement. Um, I, I love this verse, and this is kind of a verse that I thought of a lot this week um, that comes from 2 Corinthians 5, um, and it's, uh, it, it's amazing. L- look at this verse. It's up on the screen. Um, if we are out of our mind, as some say, and I can't tell you how many people said to us when we went into the fostering business, let me get, get this. You've got four kids, right? And now you're going to foster another kid? Um, are you out of your mind? Uh, it, happened, it happened a lot. And then especially when they heard that we didn't get one foster kid because we, got, we ended up getting two foster kids because they came as a pair. They're like, are you really out of your mind? You know, uh, Jim Gaffigan has this thing where he goes, if you want to know what it's like to have like a, a fifth and a sixth baby because he has a really large family, he goes, imagine you're drowning and someone throws you a baby. All right? That's kind of how it feels. Um, but if we're out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. But if, we have, but if we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. Um, so it's this idea of saying... Um, I'm going to put my own hopes and dreams and wants and, and comfort and emotional well-being even. Um, and, and it's so easy for us to put those things ahead of everything else in our lives. But, but, but the gospel tells us, right? It, it, it compels us to say, you know what? We have to die to that. We have to die to this me-centric, me-first attitude that it's so easy for us to live with. And we have to say, you know what? Um, there are people out there who need our help. Christ's love compels me. Christ's love compels me. The Apostle James talks about this as well. He writes, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And the same way faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by actions, is dead. Now, um, at this point, I want to make a little caveat, and I want to be real clear about this. I am not saying, I am not saying as a response to this message that everyone here should go into fostering, okay? That, that's not the takeaway from this, this message. Um, not everyone is cut out for fostering. Um, not everyone is called into fostering, and that's perfectly okay. But what I'm what I am saying is that there are two ways to live your life, uh, for yourself, right, or in such a way that you bring life to others, especially those that are disadvantaged. And, and I want you to think this morning as this message is unfolding, what is God calling me to? You know, what, what, what is God asking me to do? I mean, maybe it's something as simple as just serving at the food bank or the mustard seed, which, as I mentioned earlier, we give you opportunities to do here. Um, but, but make sure that in your life you find yourself in a space, in a place, in a consistent way in which you are ministering to the needs of other people, in which you are serving and loving other people, in which Christ's love is compelling you into a space you might not otherwise go. 
such that you can love them in Jesus' name. And, you know, I think about the L.A. Trippers um, this, this morning. I'm so excited for them that, that they are going to be um, heading into the inner city of Los Angeles, right? And for a whole week, they're going, to be, they're going to find themselves in this space that they otherwise wouldn't be in. And they're going to hear the stories of, of homeless people. And they're going to have a chance to serve people. And, and my prayer is this, that they will come back from that experience never, never looking at a homeless person in the same way. That they will come back from that understanding that, that you know what, there, there's a way that I can live my life such that I can shine light, Right? I can be part of God's program to help hurting people, right? So, so that's why I'm so excited about that. So, back to the movie. Pete and Ellie uh, decide to attend foster parenting classes. And it's a kind of a crazy class, to say the least. I've attended some of those crazy classes. You get all kinds of different people who go into fostering for all kinds of different reasons. And... Um, there's a huge question as to whether they're going to move forward with this or not. But then, an impassioned speech from a former foster kid compels them to take the leap. And uh, I want you to have a look at the speech because uh, this is really good stuff. Have a look. That's where this movie uh, really gets you. You know, it goes from being this comedy and you're laughing and then the next moment, um, you know, where's the Kleenex box, right? Um, but I want you to know that what she's saying is true, right? Um, and if, if God breaks your heart for that, I'm glad. I'm glad. Because we need, we need more people uh, to love those kids, uh, for sure, for sure. You see, um, see, human pain is never real until it's attached to a real person, until you actually meet them and, and hear their story. You notice this? And again, this is that reason why, why you need to find yourself in spaces and places where you can be with people who genuinely need help, who genuinely need care. So, so, so not surprising, uh, this, this gal's story melts the heart of Pete and Ellie, and they decide that they're going to do the fostering thing. Um, both of them a little, no, a lot, actually, naive. But they're, they're good-hearted people, and so they, they go to this fostering event, right, where, where the county brings all of these, these kids um, who need foster care placement, and, uh, and it's, 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 it's very funny. They, they make zero connection with the younger kids who they think are their target audience, uh, but then suddenly Pete takes an interest in some of the older kids, and you saw this in, in the trailer. And they, get, they end up getting interested in Lizzie, this 15-year-old girl. And when they pursue it, they find, find out that she has two younger siblings that would have to be fostered at the same time. I mean, they're not going to break up a family, right? But they're like three kids, you know, instant family. And hence the, the name of, of the movie. Now, uh, at first, um, they aren't quite willing to take uh, the plunge, uh, but they feel deeply for the more more deeply for these kids, and they realize and and they decide to do it. Um, I still remember the day uh, Hillary and Alana came into our house for the first time. Uh, they were both uh, nine years old. Uh, it was great, and I remember going to sleep that night thinking, "This is not as hard as I thought it would be." 
right? We must be really, really good parents. We must be special, right? Well, that turned out to be a bunch of, you know what? And uh, like the family in the movie, um, we learned that, that fostering is, is a big challenge. Um, you are fostering real people with real problems. And after the honeymoon period, and that's a very real thing, and the, and, uh, the movie depicts this in a, in a very real way, um, after the honeymoon, reality sets in. And um, let me share what comes next in this message with you under the rubric, love is hard. Love, love is hard. Um, for Pete and Ellie and the kids, it isn't long as I said before, the honeymoon phase ends, and, and the challenges, the very real challenges of, of these kids become a reality. And, and there are temper tantrums, there are slam doors, there's uh, visits to the hospital, problems at school. It, it's, it's crazy. It's exhausting. It's, it's completely out of hand, right? And not surprisingly, um, Pete and Ellie are, are overwhelmed, have you ever been overwhelmed with your kids? Um, I, I know I have. I, I'll still remember the first day we brought Travis home from the hospital. And um, he was born with club feet, so we had to have casts on right away when he was a little guy. And, um, and we made every mistake in the book. Like for the first three nights, every time he got up, we both got up. So by the third night, we were basket cases. We, 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 we went and slept, and I still remember we were just crying. I think it was like 3 o'clock in the morning going, we're going to have to bring him back to the hospital. And, uh, which, but they, they don't take babies back at the hospital. And so, uh, so I, I, I will never be so thankful that my mother-in-law showed up, right? Because she showed up, and the first thing she did is says, you, go to bed. you got to go to seminary. And then she said, Sharon, you go to bed. I'll take care of the baby when, it, you know, Travis needs feeding. I'll bring him to you. I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, right? I'll never stop loving her for that. Um, well, whether we're, we're foster parents or just regular parents or whatever parents, we can be overwhelmed relationally, can't we? Or, or, or maybe we're not parents. Um, maybe we're single or whatever. Um, loving people, loving the people that God places in our lives can be incredibly challenging, Right? I, I venture to say that, that every single person sitting here this morning has one person in their lives, at least one person that they're relationally connected to, maybe through their family of origin, maybe through work, maybe, the, I, I don't know where that connection is, but this person exhausts you, right? This person is not someone that breathes life into you, but they kind of suck life out of you, right? And when you think about the challenge of being in relationship with them, um, it, it can be overwhelming sometimes, right? Lo love is hard. You know, love is wonderful in many ways as well. And we all want to be in love, but love sometimes, especially loving real people made in the image of God, but also broken in profound ways. That's, that's hard. And, and for Pete and Ellie, they, they kind of come to the breaking point. Um, have a look at this, at this scene because um, I, know, I know Sharon and I have been in this place. I think that's it. Um, I love that line at the end. We have to accept that we made a bad mistake and that our life is just going to suck from here on in. 
Those are very real thoughts sometimes, all right? And I, you, listen, it doesn't only happen in foster families, right? You, you've been in that situation. You're like, what have we done, right? We've completely messed up our lives. Um, C.S. Lewis writes this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. To love is to be vulnerable. So true. I mean, what's he saying? He's basically saying love is hard. It's hard sometimes. And the movie doesn't sugarcoat this. However, um, what I also love about this movie is that it recognizes that after a while, um, and, and this happens in fostering, you, you reach a kind of a new normal, right? There, there's routine. Uh, there's structure. Um, if you love kids and, and you're reasonably consistent with them, at least on one level, they will respond, right? You, you can find uh, a kind of a, a settled equi equilibrium. And this happens for Pete and Ellie, Amidst all the craziness, they begin to start slowly to find, to, to find their legs as parents. But now we need to talk about attachment. The, the fact that God has hardwired into every single human being that has ever lived the, the fundamental need to be connected in a meaningful way to, to other people and to him. That, that's just how we're made. And this starts with our family of origin. Uh, we are designed, friends, we are designed to imprint ourselves on the people who brought us into the world. And, and if this gets broken early on in life, it's so hard to repair. And especially if it gets broken and broken and broken and broken again. Because what happens is after a while... Uh, the kids, they go into this place where they won't believe that anyone will actually love them. And the older they get, the harder it gets, right? They end up wearing a kind of a, a relational armor, one that protects their hearts from getting hurt, right? But, but it, also, it also protects um, them from anybody who wants to genuinely love them, who wants to get through. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, it's not impossible but it's really, really hard. You know, the Bible, the Bible recognizes this. And this is why the predominant image that it uses to describe the church is what? A family. A family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, I think part of the attraction of the, of the early church and why it reached so many people in such a short period of time because it grew from this, you know, from this thing that started out in Jerusalem to, to really taking over the whole Roman Empire in just a few hundred years. The, one of the reasons that happened is because it provided attachment where so many other parts of the Roman culture didn't. Remember, this was a culture that did what? They exposed female babies. That is, they, they brought them down to the river Styx and they, they let them die. But, but Christians, uh, because they valued life, they, they took them in, became surrogate fathers and mothers, and, and they, they took in, a, you know, not only abandoned children, but, but the church was a place that, that, that took in uh, the mentally challenged. The church was a place that took in, in, in the disease. The church was a place that took in the slaves. That, that, you know, it, and, and it became this place 
you know, really the only place where, where, where rich and poor, where, where the advantaged and the disadvantaged, where, where people of every walk of life became what? Became a family. There was attachment. Or at least the opportunity for attachment. And, and you need to know that, that this is what God intended the church to be. I mean, just look at some of these verses, and these are, this is just a sampling uh, this morning because this is just all over the New Testament. It's all over the Bible, really. Ephesians 4, verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in what? In love. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us right? This was the primary job of the church, love, love in the tradition of Jesus. I mean, this is our primary job as followers of Jesus Christ. This is the primary job of the River Community Church, to, to love each other, but then also to love every single person that walks through those doors as best we can, to provide a place for them where they can genuinely feel like they're part of a family, brothers and sisters. In, in the movie, Lizzie starts to do what a lot of kids with attachment issues do. Um, they look for fulfillment in superficial sexual relationships. And this leads to problems with, with Lizzie's cell phone, and there's this huge uh, blow-up, um, and, and it's, it, it gets kind of crazy, right? But um, it, it kind of almost brings them to their lowest point, and so they think, we need, to, we need to go back to the beginning, and we need to get some inspiration. And they, they think about this, this couple um, who fostered that girl that who gave that impassioned speech early on. They think, you know, we're, we're going to go over there and have a conversation with them and get inspired again, you know, to, to this, this fostering thing. But, but the, the conversation doesn't quite go as they expect. Have a look. Listen. True empathy, true empathy, according to the Bible, is not feeling sorry for someone. Because that only goes so far. It's, it's actually putting yourself in their place. Trying to see the world from, from their perspective, right? Understanding their pain and loving them accordingly. Loving them as best you can. Listen, not everybody is going to respond to love in the same way. Some people are going to make it hard on you to love them. And, and your, your overwhelming desire is going to be, I should just quit. Why am I doing this, right? But if that person is, you know, it's, it's, it's like one of the foster kids that, that you see in this film, where if you just spend a little time walking in their shoes, you realize they feel so lost. They're so lost that it's hard for them to even experience love. How hard is that? How messed up is that? This is how Jesus loves us, right? He, he understands us. He understands our brokenness. He understands all the messed up things that you've done in your life. He understands that, that, that you can create havoc sometimes in all kinds of different ways, but he loves you still. Listen to these words from, from Matthew 9. It says this, When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, 
He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And you know what he said next? He turned to his disciples and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. Essentially, he was saying in that moment, we need an army of people, an army of people who can love harassed and helpless people. And that was the church. That's what he called into being, right? An army of people whose task it is to love in his name, and to love even the unlovable. Okay, on with the movie. You need to know one of the most painful parts of being a foster parent is when you, when you think you finally established emotional stability, when you finally found a way to, to cope with your kids um, such that they're doing okay, um, that, and, and this almost inevitably happens. It's right at that moment when their family of origin comes back into the picture and messes everything up. And yes, 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 you know, you know cognitively, you ought to be thankful for the fact that, that the father and the mother are trying to reconnect with their kids, and you, you understand cognitively that blood is thicker than water, and that this is the ultimate goal of fostering. They tell you that in all the classes you have to take, but there's a huge part of you that thinks, really? Really? There is no way that this person can parent these kids, especially given their needs. And now, when we work so hard to finally establish some semblance of balance and stability, and, and the kids are starting to, to flourish a little bit, now you're going to step in and mess everything up again. What's even harder is that these kids that you've been working with so hard to love, they immediately, especially the older ones, default to their parent of origin. Even if they're messed up, and they just, it's like they have blinders on. They can't see what you see because of their, of their desire, their deep desire to be with their mom and dad. There's that attachment thing again, right? It goes so deep. And your heart breaks for them because you know that as soon as they enter into this relationship, what's going to happen more than likely? They're just going to get, they're going to just end up getting hurt all over again. And then they're just going to retreat even further into their, their shell and, and they become that much harder to reach. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. The mom of the kid shows up and starts to show interest in, in parent her, parenting her kids again. Um, she's been in jail, in treatment, but now she's sober again. And, and, and Lizzie is ecstatic and, and, and believes that finally, finally there's hope of putting her family back together again. And, and because it's the system, you know, the foster care system which prioritizes families of origin, which it should, I get that, everything that Pete and Ellie have worked to build in terms of this instant family begins to crumble. And before too long, we find themselves in a courtroom and a judge is awarding custody back to the kid's birth mom. And just like that, in a moment, in an instant, the family is gone. And once again, whatever attachment the younger kids had built with Pete and Ellie's is ready to be torn apart. Now, it's here where the movie um, 
ends up going to a kind of a, a predictable place. I mean, after all, it's Hollywood, right? Um, Lizzie's mom falls off the wagon and doesn't come through. Uh, she can't end up taking the kids back. And of course, um, when Lizzie finds out about this, we find out that she's been working behind the scenes with her mom to make all this happen. And of course, of course, she's devastated. And, and she runs away. And Pete and, and Ellie pursue her. And then this scene unfolds. Now, it's a little bit of a longer scene, but it's really the turning point in the film. Uh, final scene, have a look. So there it is, the Disney ending, right? Now, I wish that I could tell you that every life situation, whatever that life situation that you find yourself in this morning with whatever that, whoever that difficult person is that we talked about. Um, I wish that it would end up like this, right? Everybody happy. But that's not reality, is it? For Sharon and me, um, neither Alana Banana or Hillary Billery um, live with us anymore. That's not their real names, just so you know. I rhyme, rhyme all the time with my kids. Um, and you know what? We probably had a million talks like that, the one you just saw, trying to say to them, we love you, trying to reach them. But sometimes in life, what's broke stays broke. But here's the other thing, and I think Sharon would say the same thing. I've never regretted taking those two girls in. Never. Never. I mean, okay, sometimes when, you know, the police were involved, there were moments when we were regretting it a bit. But what I mean is the overall uh, thing. And I hope, I hope, I hope that the residue of the love that we gave them will stay with them and help them moving forward. And I still naively believe that one day they'll knock on the door and, and we'll be able to put things back together. I don't know if that'll happen or not. See, we want that, right? We want the Hollywood ending. And we think, and we say, okay, God, if you give me the Hollywood ending, I'll, I'll go through the hard part. Right? If you give me the Hollywood ending in, in you know, my, the mess that is my family relations, okay, I'll, I'll go through the hard part. Right? But it doesn't always work out that way. But you know what Jesus would say? Love anyway. Love anyway. Because love is the only thing that changes people's hearts in the end. It's the only balm that, that, brings, that brings healing, right? Now, you might ask, why, why do this? Why love someone if you know that the odds are they're not going to love you back? Why love someone when the odds are you're going to suffer in the end as a result of loving them? Why love someone when they're just going to break your heart over and over and over again? It's because of this. That's the cross, right? That's what God did. Listen to what John 4 says. It says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. 
No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And now listen to this. His love is made complete in us. You know what that means? It means that we can only truly ever understand the suffering nature of God's love when we're willing to love, until we're willing to love in the same way. See, that's the only way it, it can end up taking up residence in our lives. It's when we love and our heart gets broken. It's then that we understand at the deepest levels what love actually is. And so your job, your mission, if you'll accept it, may or may not be fostering, but it is to go out into the world and to love people, wonderful, put together, amazing people, but also to love the broken and the, the bruised and the forgotten. And to love them with the kind of love with which God loved us. Let's pray together. Father, before we pray for ourselves this morning, we want to lift up the thousands of children that are going to go to bed tonight without a mom and a dad. We want to lift up the thousands of families that are going through trials and tribulations, breakups, divorce, Lord, uh, the lives that are being torn apart. We want to lift up families that are in crisis. We want to lift up um, all of the, the challenges that come along with being in family. We want to lift up parents um, this morning in this place, but across Edmonton, who are struggling, trying to figure out how to parent their kids Father, we, we need so much help in this area. And so we ask for your mercy, that your mercy would fall on this city, that it would fall on our relationships, because only you can teach us the kind of love that could truly make a difference. And Lord, when we forget that, when we get, when we, when we don't remember that, would you bring us back to the cross? again and again bring us back to the cross and remind us this is how I love you. I love you this much. I wouldn't let anything in heaven and earth stand in the way of my great love for you. Now go. Go and love others in the same way and change the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.